Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. A gracious and merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that you have declared in your word that uh, you speak and you carry out the exact intended purposes of what your word Uh, set out to do, Lord, that as your word goes out from your mouth, it does not return empty, that it accomplishes that purpose which you had sent it out to do, that it succeeds in the thing which you sent it. And we pray, Lord, that your word would do exactly just that this very evening, that your word would comfort those who need comfort, rebuke those who need to be rebuked, teach those who need to be taught, encourage rebuke and teach, correct, train all of us in the way of righteousness that we might be complete. We realize, Lord, we need your help to do so. Fill us with your spirit that you would pierce our hearts, the very soul and depth of our souls, that we might be able to give you thanks and praise, leaning and thinking wholly on Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. This is God's holy, inerrant, life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Judea and treat Syndicate to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord, always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. By prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, and let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Grass withers, flowers fade, the word of our Lord will stand forever. There's a funny commercial that comes to mind of this image of these group of men surrounding a CV radio, stuck in a boat, holding the radio very urgently, come in, come in. Response comes over the airwaves. This is the base station. 
And as these men stand there around the CV radio trying to be able to cry out for help as the boat is, is filling with water, and they say, we are sinking, we are sinking. Turns now to the control tower with this man sitting above the microphone, holds down the button, and in broken English turns around and says, what are you thinking about? Commercial is a, a commercial for learning uh, English as a second language and encouraging people to do so, so they're not found in this predicament. But although, even though this is somewhat true, as these men are sinking, they are also thinking. Everybody thinks. The average person actually approximately thinks about 60,000 times a day. 60,000 times a day. Now, a large percent of those thoughts are repetitive, and, and all of us would agree with this. We forget the thought, and thus we think it again. Previous thoughts that come up again. Some actually have suggested that this number is quite high when we think about negative thoughts. The one article I read said it was about 75% of these thoughts can be negative in tone, which they argued had a great impact on our mental health, on our physical health, on all these other aspects of our life. The truth is, everybody thinks. Just what are we thinking about? And often we don't actually think about what we're thinking about. We don't take time to be able to understand where our mind goes to wander, what consumes us. And in tonight's sermon, Paul simply just tells us two simple things to be able to do for our our life, and thus is the outline. Think on these things, he says in verse 8. And then do these things, he says. In verse 9, quite simply, to think and do. Now again, we're amazed at the Bible, who understands the condition of our heart, that knows exactly what we need. You might say, why do we need to be instructed to think? I encourage you to go read almost any warning label, and you will be told why We need to be reminded to think. That we are a culture and a generation that does not think, we feel. What feels good? Why do you do it that way? Well, I just had a feeling. Follow your guts, not your minds. The truth is, everybody thinks. The problem is we're thinking about the wrong things. Paul instructs the the church in Rome, in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And he says, how are you transformed? You're transformed by the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That everything in our minds, we have been patterned to think a certain way. And, and Paul says that we've been taught to, to think the way of the world. To follow the way of the world. 
But he says, no, it comes through transformation. It comes through renewal of the mind to be able to test and discern the will of God. That our minds have been conformed to the world and we need reprogramming, reshaping. G.K. Chesterton says, dogmatism does not mean the absence of thought. the end of thought. You've heard it says, you are what you eat. Well, the true reality of the Bible speaks more to the point is you are what you think. Proverbs 23 says, for he is like one who is inward calculating, eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. And so Paul sets and tells the people to be able to go forward and to think about these things. What shall you do? First, it begins with thinking. Well, what are these things? He lists eight things that we are to begin to think about. We'll seek to be able to move through them rather quickly. The first is what is true. Now again, the world has taught us that truth is, is, is completely how you feel. Your truth, my truth, their truth, doesn't matter. Now we get to a problem when my truth conflicts with your truth. But it says truth is really relative. That it all depends on where you are, what culture it is. However, that's not what the Bible says. Many people are lost in the world because they're going out to find something that is moving. A treasure map that doesn't have an X, or a treasure map that has an X depending on what day you want to look at it. A treasure map that moves. Truth is something not to be found, something to be discovered in a moment. But the Bible says there is such thing as truth. There is something as something that is true. And over and over again, where do you find truth? You find truth in God's Word. Psalm 119, you could argue, is a whole chapter devoted to why God's word is truth, but particularly in verse 160, it says, the sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Jesus prays in the high priestly prayer, sanctify them in truth, and he doesn't say, whatever truth you may seek, or whatever truth they might find, your word is truth, he says. Or David, as he praises the Lord after he hears the great covenant blessing given to him in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David prays out, O Lord God, you are God and your words are true. And you have promised this good thing to your servant. That his very words are true. And again, this comes not to elevate the Bible as some a fourth member of the Trinity, as we say, the, the Bible is true because they are God's words. It is truth because it comes from God who is true, who does not lie, as Numbers 23 says. God is not man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. As he said, and will he not do it? Or is he spoken and will he not fulfill it? That God is the one who keeps his promises, keeps his word. 
think of these things. Truth. Well, where do we go? If we spend our days reading the newspapers, watching the news, we ponder those things. Scroll on a Facebook feed. Listen to others, as people might say, influencers. All these other aspects, and we never set to be able to focus our minds and meditate on the truth. What is unchangeable? We look at the changes, the winds and the waves of the world. And yet, Paul says, focus your minds on truth. The second thing he says is what is honorable. Another way to be able to say worthy of respect. Again, the world flips this all around. Places worth on all the wrong things. Respects that which is not worthy. The Septuagint in the Greek translation of the Old Testament translates this word a couple of times. Speaks of that which is solemn, which is sacred. Again in Proverbs here, for I will speak noble things, the same word, that honorable things. In verse 15, uh, chapter 15, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination of the word, O Lord, but the gracious words are pure. Here the thoughts of the wicked are abominations, but yet here what is honorable, what is worthy of respect is pure. The third thing we are to think and to ponder is what is just. Again, not false justice as the world would declare. Again, not based on what is right and wrong. Subjective feelings and emotions based not on hard facts and evidences which are before them. This false justice which is stemmed upon the friends you have, the money you have, the background you have, the lawyers you have, the color of your skin, any other tri- types of factors. True justice. What is just, broadly speaking, this word is not merely just about justice, it's about righteousness. What is right and wrong is the world twists and bursays and says, what is good is evil and what is evil is good. They twist and distort everything. But justice goes hand in hand together with righteousness. Paul in Romans 3 said it was to show his righteousness at the present time that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Again, these words have a similar root meaning here. To show forth his righteousness that he might be righteous and the righteousness fire you might say, of the one who has faith in Christ. That again, not merely just the action, but the person of God. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. Think of these things. We can sit and ponder of what the injustices that are carried out in the world and think of all this folly that happens around us. But Paul exhorts us to think of what is just. The fourth thing he thinks of, tells us to think of is what is pure. 
what is holy. Again, in the Septuagint, the broader translation is something that is ceremonially clean, innocent. See, all of these things have some overlap as we think and ponder them. The Lord is righteousness, Psalm 11 says. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Your purity, innocence, something that again, which is perverse around the world. You used to be able to say that a child had innocence about them, but even in this world that they're exposed at a younger age to far more abominations than we could even begin to imagine are exposed in these things. Purity is something that is fading. Purity is something that is mocked even by the world. Paul writes in Titus to the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Purity lies not in the eyes of the beholder, but the heart of the beholder. The heart of the one who is pure is the one who is pure because of what has been made by God. Again, thinking not of this world in this life, we will see nothing pure and clean in this life. Everything is tainted with sin. Even something that was pure before us is tainted with the sin within our own eyes. To fix our eyes on Christ on God who is holy, the thrice holy God. The fifth thing that he says is whatever is lovely, what is pleasing, agreeable. Again, not the world's definition of love, this feeling of emotion that is here one day, gone the next, but true love. Love which is found in God who is love, as John writes. If you don't know what love is, you don't know who God is. To John, they're not, they're inseparable. The sixth thing, whatever is commendable, worthy of praise, approval. Here again, the the world twists and distorts. What is worthy of praise, whatever is worthy of approval. You go through the list of the things that the world approves of. You put them against God's Word. You will find it hard to be able to match them. They mock what God calls good. They approve what God calls evil. Not even merely just in sense of approval, but in sense of praise. Not merely just a passive Let's not talk about it, but glorify it. But Paul says, don't think of those things. Think of what is truly worthy of praise, truly worthy of approval. The seventh thing is whatever is excellent. That again, our minds should be driven high above what we see in this world. Excellence is not merely just found in in a nice, 
check out that swifts through beautiful music, what is found in God. That his excellence extends to the heavens, his faithfulness to the clouds. Or as Peter says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Or in the second epistle, Peter actually uses this same word, this same Greek word that is found here, but it's translated differently. He speaks of his divine power has guaranteed to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has uh, granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of his divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of the sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, but another way to translate that, supplement your faith with excellence and excellence with knowledge. That here again we're driven from the world in which we would see this is excellent in the world, but driven to be able to aspire to think of God in all of His excellencies, His glory, His wonder. The eighth thing is what is worthy of praise. This is somewhat different, which has been said before. Earlier we spoke of what is worthy of respect, worthy of acceptance. But here with worthy of praise lifts it up. That someone, something or someone could be worthy of respect because of a title or a position doesn't mean what they do is then worthy of praise. Someone might hold a position of power. It is your obligation to be able to respect them. It does not mean you need to praise them. Whereas God deserves both, worthy of respect and worthy of praise. That is, steadfast love extends to the heavens. And Paul simply just says, think of these things. Now contrast that, if we could, to our 60,000 thoughts that pass through our minds. What a list that would be. What we are to do when we go to the shop, what we need to buy, what we need to avoid. Where we left our keys, where we left our phone, our wallet, or the things that even consume our minds, even broader than those quick thoughts that go through. The ones that weigh us down, that are, cause us anxiety and stress and strain. And how often our minds and our thoughts are downward focused of what is before us. And yet Paul lifts us up and, and tells us to think of the things much greater and broader than us. 
But even merely just on an earthly sense, what if we're to go inward? What are our thoughts that lie within our hearts? Would we want them published and known to others? The sinful greed that lies within. All of our sinful thoughts and desires. How much of our thoughts are consumed by these? Paul says, lift us up, lift us to the highest of heavens where we think of these things. A.W. Tozer says, if we would think God's thoughts, we must learn to think continually of God. Peter had the problem as he sought to be able to rebuke Jesus and, and say that he was not going to suffer the death of the Messiah's prophesied. And Jesus turned around and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, you hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Here, Peter did not wish to be able to be parted from his teacher. He would much rather have Jesus with him at this moment than for him to be able to suffer and die. And Jesus says, That is not the will of God. You're not thinking about what God has declared in His Word. You're not thinking about the things that are above. You're thinking about all that is before us and what we see in front of us. Or as Paul spoke of those people before in Philippians chapter 3, that their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory is their shame. And he says all of this is led to because their minds are on earthly things. Destruction and their belly, their glory is their shame. And, and yet, where does this all stem from? Because their minds are ficked down in the dirt. But Paul continues and says, but that is not where we are. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That he, he lifts us up to be able to look into the heavens to see where God is seated and says, ponder, think of these things. Or he puts it this way in Colossians chapter 3. Set your minds that are on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. And you have hidden, you, your life is hidden with Christ is in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you will appear with him in glory. So even to think of God and the excellencies and all those things which are united to God, Paul even drives us to be able to think not merely just of, of God as the triune God, but particularly of Christ. The Son of God, Christ who is true, the way, the truth, the life, Christ who is honorable, the one who God has highly exalted above every and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, Christ who is just, Christ who is righteous, the advocate with the Father, Christ the righteousness, Christ the pure and innocent, 
the one who knew no sin, the one who became sin for us, the righteousness of God, Christ the lovely, the beloved, the bridegroom who is to return, or as Thomas Brooks says, Christ is lovely. Christ is very lovely. Christ is most lovely. Christ is always lovely. Christ is altogether lovely. Christ, the one who is worthy of approval, the one whom we shall honor the Son as we honor the Father, the one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. The one whom we will cry out in that very last day, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Christ, the honorable, the worthy of approval. Christ, the excellence. As Paul previously said, that he counts everything as loss, but the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things here on this earth. And he counts them all as rubbish in order that he might gain the excellent Christ. Christ, the one who is worthy of praise. So that every name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And Paul simply just says, think of these things. We could create a list of things that we shouldn't think of. We could create a list of things that we do think of. But Paul says, here's eight things you shall think of. You should think of Christ. Think of Christ as you wake up in the morning, as you see the sun beckon over the horizon, and you thank God for these mercies which He has lavished upon you. The rich mercies He has given to you. Think of this. Again, this is not new. that we are forever told throughout all of Scripture to think of God, think of Christ, think of His Word. The blessed man in Psalm 1. This blessed man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on His law He meditates day and night. This blessed man who is like a tree planted by the streams of water, yields its fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither. All that he does, he prospers. Where does this begin? He needs to be planted by the stream. He needs to meditate on the Word. Think of these things. Cicero says that all thou sowest, so thou shalt reap. What do we sow in our lives? As Ralph Walter Emerson wrote, sow a thought and reap an action. Sow an act and reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character, you reap a destiny. Although I disagree with 
Emerson on so many different other factors, the very part in which he starts here, so a thought. This is exactly where it starts. Hit the nail on the head. That it begins with thinking. Think on these. Ponder Christ. As they said in the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, they would say, Hear, Israel, the Lord your God is one. And throughout the day they would recite this as a repetition. But even as they go on, as parents are to teach their children, they're to teach it as they sit down in the house and they walk by the way when you lie down. When you rise, they're to, to ponder these things, to teach these things at every moment of every life, and so too we must do the same. We must not only teach those around us, but also ourselves to be able to think of these things. To have the Word of God that is living and active, as the author of Hebrews says, that pierces the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrows, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Even we think that thinking is a thing of the mind. The author of Hebrews says thinking is a thing of the heart as well. We not only think with our mind, but think with our heart. And as we have the word of God dwelling in our hearts, then so too our thoughts come to act like the very word which is within us. As Martin Lloyd-Jones says, it is right for us to take thought, but not for thought to take us. We should be the ones who think first of Christ and his word of God, and thus then our thoughts are carried that way. Not the other way around where our thoughts are driven by our sinful heart's desires, and thus they carry us away. That leads us to our second and final point. You can be relieved, because it's not as long. Simply do these things. The problem that we find is not necessarily that we're doing things, is not necessarily that we're even doing the wrong things. The problem starts not with what we do. The problem starts with what we think or the lack of thinking. And I think this is Paul's point here is very important, is to start with the things that are above. That he says, what you have learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, practice these things. Four things that you learned, received, heard, and seen. I mean, you could delve into them, focus on the same, but all of these point back to Christ, the gospel. The truth of the matter is that we're not merely just philosophers sitting up in some study writing about thinking how, how we've thought about these things, but there must be a time where our thoughts lead to actions. Our theology leads to practice. That as we study God's word, it leads to fruit in our lives. 
as we ponder these things of Christ and heaven, of God, of his word, then that leads to change in our lives. That as we think of what is pure, that leads to purity in our lives. What we think of what is true, that leads to truth in our lives. What we think of worthy of praise leads to things that are worthy of praise in our lives. There is always this connection and always driving force that that we're not merely just thinkers. We're doers, that it drives us to worship and adoration of Him. That as we grow, that we might be able to encourage others of those of us who are mature in our faith, that we might be able to model this to others, that we might be able to stand as Paul stood and says, what you have learned from me, what you have received from me, what you have heard, what you have seen from me, practice them. That we might respond as Isaiah says, come now, let us reason together. Let us think together. But it also ends with this glorious promise. We ended last time in verse 7. Saying, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. However, I think verse 9 takes it up a step. And he says, And the peace of God will be with you. The God of peace will be with you. In verse 7, it says, the peace of God will be with you in your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus. But verse 9 says, the God of peace is not merely that you're receiving peace from God, you're receiving the God who gives the peace. He is the one that is going to be with you. As you do these things, the God who you are thinking and pondering is not only going to be something that you look to up there, He's going to be down here with you. A glorious promise and a truth that we have and we rest in. Again, we have 60,000 thoughts on average a day. Let us start to be able to look up to think of these glorious things, that it would drive us to be able to worship and serve the one that we think of. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you again for passages like this. Lord, because they are truly heart-piercing. Lord, that we often do not think and ponder of these things. Lord, our lists are long and our thoughts are great. But Lord, when we put them in comparison, how often we do not ponder and think of the things that lead us to Christ. Help us, Lord. Renew our minds, for we know that we cannot do it ourselves. Fill us with your Spirit that our minds would be renewed, that we'd be able to ponder these things that lead us to Christ. But also help us to be able to change our hearts, that we might be able to do these things as well, to live out as godly Christians, exhorting other younger Christians, encouraging those who are wayward to be able to see and think of these things also. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.